morning, everybody. Uh, great to see you. Uh, let me go ahead and, and dive right on in uh, with uh, an encounter that uh, pastor and author uh, Gordon McDonald tells of a woman that he once met. Uh, he said she was a Nigerian woman who was uh, a physician uh, at a really important teaching hospital here in the United States. And after a lecture that Gordon had given, she came down and introduced herself, uh, told him a little about um, uh, her family and her life uh, growing up. And she said early in her adult life, her parents uh, were forbidden to marry each other. Even though both of them, their, her moms and dad loved each other very much. Um, uh, her mother was forbidden to marry. Uh, the man she loved, her father, too, was forbidden by his family uh, not to marry uh, uh, this woman's mother. But they both loved each other so much that they actually defied their family's opinions and they married anyway. Well, for years, uh, they were ostracized from both of their families and the family's anger and resentment continued to build. Uh, this woman's parents were shamed by their families and their surrounding cultures and ultimately bitterness and ill will against them drove them from their home and their village. Now, I have no idea uh, what that is like. I mean, I, just hearing that, I grieve uh, the loss and the suffering of uh, this woman's parents, um, uh, as you and I, as you, you and I do too. But I do want to acknowledge that right now there are people around us uh, that are suffering from anger and bitterness that is being aimed at them. Uh, there are people around us, and maybe even some of us, uh, who are hurting and confused or anxious about what's happening in this pandemic. Uh, for some, especially those who are most vulnerable, things have gotten a lot worse. Their lives have been turned upside down by the circumstances that are completely beyond their control. And the responses of some of these people are fear and anger. Some single parent homes, mainly with mothers, uh, they've lost jobs or they've been asked to work way more because other people have been let go. Uh, the result is that this gives the mothers less time at home with their children and then the children have not been in school and now they're anxious and afraid and, and they need even more attention. And then there are some homes where that, are, that there's even more anger than anxiety now. There's more danger. Uh, this pandemic reveals to us that there is work to be done uh, in hearts, our hearts, other people's hearts. Uh, we have to take out and take away destructive tendencies, taking the plank out of our own eye first. So not only do we need to deal with our anger, uh, we need to be aware of and ready to help others take away their anger. Uh, we need to know how to be able to approach injustice and even be angry about it, but not contribute our sin to it. Emotions often lead us to do things, and uh, they can be good or bad. Uh, I used a couple thoughts from Tim Keller this morning, and here's one of them that, that I modified, adapted for us. Uh, anger, and you know, in its good form, anger is emotional energy released towards something bad 
in defense of something good. Let me say that again. A healthy anger is emotional energy released towards something bad in defense of something good. As we turn to our passage today, Ephesians 4, uh, verses 25 through 32, uh, the immediate context here is, is putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And that's the Apostle Paul's language for uh, living out the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's not something we do in our own strength. It's not something we do to earn favor with God. It is how we live since we are now declared righteous before God because of what Jesus did for us. It is how we live in, the, in light of the fact that uh, we have the Spirit of God indwelling us. And it's replicating the life of Christ that we manifest out of this new identity with Christ and in response, in thankful response to him for what he's done for us. Holy behavior uh, flows out of our new identity in Christ. Our new identity in Christ and our, our gratitude towards him, those are essential for inspiring holy change in us. John Calvin puts it well when he says this, uh, from the righteous, uh, from the, excuse me, from the righteousness of the new man, all godly exhortations flow like streams from a spring. I like that picture. Well, allow me to uh, read through these verses, and then we're going to look at different sections of it. So Ephesians 4, starting at verse 25. Therefore, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of our mouths, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to all those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, you probably picked up on the, the pattern of the, the back and forth going with these instructions. You notice that sometimes we're, we're told what not to do, and then we're told what to do instead, or, or maybe we're told uh, what to do and then not to do, and then there's a reason for it. Well, this morning, we only have time to look at the commands that have to do with uh, deceit, uh, lying, and anger. And that includes verses 25 through 27, verses 30 through 32. So starting at verse 25, let's look at that again. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Put away falsehood. That means don't lie. Don't tell lies. Don't deceive. Additionally, to put away falsehood uh, means that we actually have to come to love the truth and love the truth at all 
levels. A person of truth is a person with a sincere, open spirit and an unbiased spirit. Uh, similar to Calvin's comment, one commentator says this. He says, a truthful person is someone whose heart is like a clear lake that you can see all the way down to the bottom of it. Deceit muddies the water. In verse 25, the sin is lying, deceiving, and, and we can't flesh this out at every level, but this includes not lying to God, not lying to yourself, not lying to others. If we engage in lying and deceiving long enough, sin can so deceive us that we no longer care or even know whether our thoughts or our actions are right or wrong. And because it's this prolonged practice of lying, our heart just goes there, goes there quickly, and it goes wrong easily. Instead, speaking the truth uh, stresses that truthful speech should be the ongoing characteristic pattern of the way believers talk. Not telling lies, but rather cultivating the practice of truth-telling lays the foundation for trust in the community of the life of the believers. It's foundational for community. We need truth in order to trust each other. We pursue Christ together as we tell the truth to each other. I'll say that again. We pursue Christ together as we tell the truth to each other. Now, the reason Paul gives us for not lying to each other in verse 25 is simply that we are members of one another. The Greek word there for member is melos, and it means to either literally or figuratively to be a, a part of the human body, meaning a, an eye or a leg or a hand or a mouth or an arm. So Paul's reasoning for not deceiving each other, but rather instead telling the truth, has to do with something way more foundational than morality. It has to do with identity. It's not just that lying is immoral because scripture says that too. It's not just that deceiving is dangerous and, and you can get caught and suffer the consequences because scripture says that too. We are not to lie or deceive, but rather tell the truth because that is who we are. It's not just uh, ethical behavior. It's way bigger than that. It has to do with our identity, who we are and whose we are. Let's look at those quickly. Who we are is part of the body of Christ. It says it right there, spiritual members of each other. And we're spiritual members of Jesus. That's right there in the passage. But right above it, uh, in verses 4 through 6, we also read this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Our identity is that of believers. We are one body with many members. We have one God and Father, so we're also identified as one holy family. Verse 30 also echoes this theme of identity with the word sealed. Uh, there we see, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God 
by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Sealed by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit gives us identity of who we are. We are God's secure possession. And that identity applies not only to not lying or deceiving, but also to how we speak the truth to each other. Later in Ephesians 5.18, we read that we should be speaking the truth in love to each other. I mean, literally, it says truthing in love. And that brings a nuance to verses 25 and 26 that says, uh, we must not, uh, we, yeah, we must not only not lie, but we are to tell the truth to each other in ways that avoids unnecessarily hurting each other. Or as Ephesians 4.29 says, to speak for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Uh, looking at our, the next verses, verses 26 and 27, we read this. Be angry. Wow, there's, a, there's an exhortation that you don't expect. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Be angry. Don't be confused. Uh, there's a reason to be angry in this world. There is righteous anger, not only to feel, but also to express. Uh, we battle against the evil one and his forces. We battle against the ravages of sin. Uh, so some anger is justified. Again, anger is a desire to tear something up, tear up something uh, wrong or evil, and defend what is right and what is good. That's what anger is. But if anger is aimed at the wrong thing, at the wrong object, or if it's released in the wrong way, it becomes destructive and sinful. So along with be angry, Paul also gives us this instruction, and do not sin. And to see uh, what that looks like, let's look at Jesus. Let's watch Jesus get angry. In Mark 3, Jesus heals a man with a shriveled hand in a local synagogue. And you probably remember the account. It goes like this, Mark 3, verses 1 through 5. Again, he, meaning Jesus, entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they, meaning the Pharisees, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Oh man, that's a great passage. I mean, Jesus enters the synagogue. He sees this man with a crippled hand and he sees and discerns the hearts of the Pharisees who were just sitting there waiting. The Pharisees have come not to worship, but to wait and see if Jesus is going to violate this misinterpretation and misapplication of the law of the Sabbath. They want to falsely accuse him of wrongdoing, and it says, Jesus looked at them 
with anger. And he was grieved at their sin-hardened hearts. So Jesus was angry, and it's not wrong. What was Jesus doing? What evil was he tearing up? What good was he defending? Well, he was defending the law of God. He was angry about the misuse of God's law uh, that was given to mankind for rest. On the Sabbath, we're supposed to give ourselves over in a concentrated way to the worship of God. Sabbath is supposed to benefit us and bless us and be a tremendous refreshment to our souls. But Jesus is angry because the Pharisees have taken this wonderful law and they've twisted it. They've twisted it into an instrument of fear and self-righteousness. So he tears into that. And what does he do? He releases his anger against the evil. Uh, what he does is he turns to them and says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to, to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Then he turns around and he heals the man's hand right in front of their faces. He, he does good by healing the man in holy anger. Jesus releases his anger against the, the crippling of the hand, and he releases his anger against the sin of the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. And as a result, Jesus has righteous indignation. He has holy anger. So there are situations in which it's absolutely wrong to not be angry. Ephesians 4 says, be angry. It's your duty to be angry at evil. In fact, your inability to ever rouse yourself at the sight of injustice, your inability to ever be indignant in order to see justice, means that there's something wrong. Jesus gets angry. I mean, very angry here. Why? Well, that's a great question. That's the key. Righteous anger is energy aroused in defense of something good. It's released against something evil. That's the reason why it would be wrong to not ever be angry at the consequences of sin or injustice to others or rebellion against God. Anger in its normal, pristine state, the way it's created in us, is the desire to defend something good and to attack whatever is threatening it. So it's energy to rouse ourselves and attack that which is evil, to tear up that evil. However, there's a problem with the way it often works out in our lives, right? Uh, anger is often aroused in defense of what when it comes to us? Well, anger is often aroused uh, in our not fully sanctified hearts to defend our pride, to defend our reputation, to defend our agendas. We release it uh, and attack not problems, not evil, not sin, but people. And that's wrong. And in my life, uh, people who bear the brunt of my sinful anger, uh, most often that's my family. And I know we all love our families and I'm right there with you. But a while back, uh, I was home working uh, a lot on some ministry things and just couldn't get to my favorite pastime, which is yard work. Uh, early in the week, I'd asked my son Jacob 
to plan on spending some time helping me in the yard on Saturday. Okay, get it on your calendar, Jake. And in working the yard together, that's one of my favorite things to do, and it's one of my favorite things to do with my son. Well, Saturday rolled around, and I could not get to the yard work as soon as I wanted. Well, I had more work to do. So Jake got started without me, and I finally joined him later in the afternoon. But when I got out in the yard, I saw that Jake hadn't gotten as much done as I thought he would. Uh, and now he was saying he didn't want to work anymore because he didn't sign up for working all day Saturday in the yard with me. And now I could feel the anger rising. I mean, earlier I had spent the week just thinking and filling my mind, kind of anticipating, maybe even worshiping, doing a good work in the yard with my son. Man, we were going to get so much done and we were going to have so much fun doing it. But ministry took longer and Jake was done working and the anger started to rise because I'd lost perspective on what is most valuable. Uh, instead of filling my mind with the value of my son and how important he is to me uh, and for me to be spending quality time with him and how there were going to be other Saturdays that we could work together. I'd actually lost perspective. I'd started to fill my heart with my own selfish agenda. So much so that I began to get angry. So instead of being grateful for the work that Jake had already done, I was releasing my anger at him. I was defending myself, my own little agenda for the prized Saturday workday. I remember telling him uh, in my anger, I said that he, that he was just ungrateful for all that we've been doing for him and, uh, and that what he wanted to do wasn't as important as what I wanted to have done. And it just was not pretty. But if I had just stopped and collected my thoughts, I would have realized that I wasn't really defending the character building value of honoring your father or a strong worth ethic. I was defending my pride. Uh, my sense of worth is that, uh, uh, is that sometimes I unwisely put my sense of work, worth on getting uh, work done. And that's not healthy. I mean, my anger should have been directed at the lie, uh, the lie that I sometimes tell myself that you are what you do. So you better do a lot to prove you're worth a lot. You know, God has given me a strong desire to achieve, but as with all desires, desires make better servants than masters. And when it comes to choosing between two masters to serve, uh, work or God, I need to grow even better at choosing God. Now, there's another way that we can sin in our anger, and that's when we hold on to it. Again, emotions in and of themselves are not wrong, but they can go wrong. Uh, Keller has a, a good metaphor from comparing uh, emotions to fruit. It's like fruit in and of itself is good, but fruit can go bad. Uh, when fruit is ripe, it's good, but if you hold on to it for too long, it can become rancid and bitter, and it can rot. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us in 26, uh, 27, don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Uh, the reason we're not to hold on to our anger is to give 
no opportunity to the devil. Holy anger uh, against injustice or wrong, that is good in and of itself. But if we hold it and we nurse that anger as a, as a grievance, that allows the devil to lead us into bitter thoughts, rotten words, rancid actions. And these can destroy an otherwise healthy personal relationship because it fosters pride and, and hatred in us. So how do we deal with anger in a way, uh, in the way that Jesus does? Well, uh, first we have to figure out why we're angry. Like I should have done that with Jake on that Saturday. You see, we can't just tell ourselves not to be angry. When we sense anger rising up in us, telling ourselves to stop it won't hack it. In fact, we may even get angrier because we can't stop ourselves from being angry. So what do we do? We have to put off the old self, put on the new self, just like Paul says here in Ephesians 4. To put off our old self with regards to anger means that we don't suppress or stuff our anger because that will lead to bitterness and resentment. Anger must be properly expressed at the proper target. Properly expressed also means that we remain under control. You know, raging, blowing up, those are sinful expressions of anger too. What we should do is direct our thoughts to the forgiveness and the kindness of Christ in order to properly discern the reasons for our anger. So we figure out why we're angry in the framework of forgiveness and kindness not just in our circumstances. Again, then we apply all that to our hearts, our identity in Christ. That way who we are becomes manifested under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's what this text is telling us. And then we can help others precisely because we are all members of one body. We wouldn't wanna hurt a part of the body because it hurts us if we're all a part of the body. So we can rightly express our identity with Christ in thankful response to what he's done for us. Now, we don't have time to look at verses 28 or 29 beyond what we've already said. So let's go on to the last two verses this morning. And, and we can ask ourselves, so why does Paul revisit the category of anger here? Verse 31 let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away for you from you along with all malice be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another as god in christ forgave you the reason paul mentions these six sins is for more instruction these are repetitions and amplifications of anger that he spoke about back in verse 25 a slander, uh, which is evil speaking, that's an expression of anger too. And malice is having uh, an ill will towards others that destroys fellowship. Rather than those, we're to be kind and tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And the reason given for being like this is that God in Christ forgave you. Again, we see identity 
and gratitude. So likewise here, we see various repetitions and amplifications of being forgiven in Christ. Though those amplifications are being kind and tenderhearted and forgiving each other, uh, all of that is which we have already received uh, from God through Christ. So in closing, uh, you know, there's more, more to the story of the woman whose parents were angrily ostracized back in my introduction. Uh, McDonald said that uh, he had, you know, she came down and he talked to her and she had introduced herself using her American name. And so he says, I asked, what, what's your African name? And she immediately gave it to me. It was several syllables long with a, a musical sound to it. What does the name mean? Uh, Gordon asked. She answered, it means child who takes anger away. When I asked why she would have been given that name, she said, I remember for years, both families were angry with my parents, but then my mother became pregnant with me. And when the grandparents held me in their arms for the first time, the walls of hostility started coming down. I became the one who swept away anger. And that's the name my mother and father gave me. You know, I kind of think that her name would be fitting for Jesus, too. And hopefully for us, too. Applications for us could be to envision ourselves, see ourselves as people who sweep away anger. So how do we come, become like a, a, a holy broom here? Well, first, we must invite the Word of God to do some work in us. Spiritually and emotionally, uh, we cannot take people to a place of forgiveness and kindness if we cannot get there ourselves. One way to learn that and experience forgiveness and kindness is for us to engage in the spiritual discipline called contemplative Bible reading. All that means is that you find passages uh, where uh, God or Moses or Jesus or Paul or someone manifests anger in defense of something good, uh, a defense of something good against something evil. Or uh, you find passages where uh, uh, righteous anger was uh, rightly expressed or rightly swept away. Uh, on the slide there, you can see there's Exodus and Mark and Galatians, and there are a number of other passages where we can see how God wants us to deal with our anger and how God manifests his anger and how brothers and sisters in Christ have manifested anger in their lives in holy ways. Now, if you're not familiar with contemplative Bible reading, here's four steps, really simple guidance. First, choose a, a small passage to read. Uh, read it slowly, deliberately, and read it out loud. Read it at least twice. Next, pay attention to all the words that kind of uh, your, your mind goes to. Uh, pay attention to them uh, through kind of your imagination and your senses and feelings. Ask yourself, what's the meaning of this text? What's the Holy Spirit saying to me right now through these words? Then silently pray in response to the text and even use some of the language in the text and the sense of the text in your prayer to God. 
ask uh, what stirs you in response to the text. And then rest in the silence of the presence of God. Allow what you've heard and felt to be absorbed into your heart and mind. Now, this is the time to silently and gratefully rest in God's love and grace towards you. Let's pray. Father, as we have looked at this passage, we recognize that uh, there can be some some holy good, some, some sanctification, some, um, some of the work that you want to see done in us and through us. And sometimes that involves anger. And, and Father, I can admit that uh, you know, anger is one of those areas that can be very challenging for me. And so I pray uh, for myself, I pray for the congregation, that we would find ways to um, discern in our own hearts and minds uh, what we're starting to get angry at. And if it is a righteous anger, Father, help us to express that in a way that doesn't become sin. Help us to not hold on to that anger or stuff it in a way that it be actually becomes a, creates a problem between us and other people. Father, I also pray, as we talked about in the introduction, that there are uh, men and women and children suffering the consequences of anger uh, now, maybe even more than before in this pandemic. And so we pray for protection for them. And we pray also that we may be uh, light and life and peace uh, to those families. And Father, if we have the opportunity to step in and, and bring kindness and express forgiveness to a family that is struggling, where there's uh, anger or fear, I pray that we would be courageous enough to do it, that we wouldn't sit back and, and uh, see something wrong being done and not intervene at your direction. So give us the words and the courage, uh, the strength uh, to live out our lives in a way that brings about a change, not only in us, but in others. And we ask that in Christ's name. Amen.